Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror um, to good conduct, but to bad. Why would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of uh, conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God. Attending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owned, revenue to whom revenue is owned, respect to whom respect is owned, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For commandments... You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than we first, than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of the darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, in no orgies and drunkenness, than sexual immorality or and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Let's uh, open up to the Lord for guidance before we delve into His Word. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity to be gathered around Thy Word, Father. For Scripture says we're two or three, Father. We think of the saints that could not be here this morning for various reasons, Father. We just ask Your blessing upon them. Uh, We ask for their health. We ask that uh, they um, will come through this. Uh, stronger in the faith, Father. We pray for the assembly as a whole. Um, As we look into this scripture, we would ask that we would see Jesus and that we would put on Jesus as Paul would write to the saints in Rome. Uh, We ask these things in your son's most precious name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, It's good to be here this morning. I was talking with, with Dave Bosworth. It's a bit of a relief for me to be here this morning. I missed last week. Um, I had a unplanned work trip that uh, took me out of town Sunday and I didn't get back until Wednesday afternoon 
Um, but it's good to be back with the family and back to be with back. Good to be back with the family of Christ. I did get a chance to listen to last week's message on Facebook Live. It's a wonderful instrument uh, that we have available for those of us that can't physically be here in the morning, and as well as sermon.net. And um, it was an excellent message um, that that our brother Mike gave. And I would just like to maybe reemphasize some of those points before we delve into our, our allotted portion of Scripture here. Um, the book of Romans, as one could say, right, and, and we've been in Romans for quite a bit. I know that we took a hiatus uh, recently with different visiting speakers and whatnot, uh, but most of it should be fresh in our memory, um, and it could be subdivided into different portions. But if, if you look at the, the book of Romans overall, it's a declaration of the righteousness of God and the good news of the gospel, right? If you want to give it a theme for the entire book, right? And then um, I, I think our brother Mike mentioned uh, last week that um, in the first seven chapters, we have um, in the first half of the book, I, I should say, Chapters one through eight, we have some some heavy doctrine, right? That's that's given uh, by the apostle in particular. Um, the first five chapters, we're talking about uh, how God would declare us to be righteous. We talk about justification by faith, a legal a uh, declaration of God to the believer, declaring them to be right. And of course, we think in the early chapters of how God's wrath is righteous and it's, it's towards the ungodly. And, and, and in the scripture here, Paul would uh, demonstrate how God would declare for the believer, the one that is in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be righteous. Justification by faith and um, the, the pinnacle of that, that um that theme in, in chapter five being justified by pay, by being therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God, right? In, in chapter five, beautiful verse, um, verses. I mean, chapters six through eight, we talk about now. Now that we are declared to be right, now that we are uh, given that title by God uh, to be declared righteous, how now? God has to make us righteous. And then and we uh, go into the theme of sanctification of the believer, how he does that. Um, and that's, again, chapters 6 through 8 for, you know, if, if God didn't do these things. He didn't do these amazing work through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the work of the Spirit, uh, through faith of the believer, um, we would be as Isaiah was, right? If you think of, of that scene where Isaiah would see the Lord high and lifted up, right? This is, this is Isaiah the prophet, not just a, a um, small person like myself. This is Isaiah the prophet. He would see the Lord high and lifted up. And he, his response to him to, would be, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. Before a righteous God, if we're not justified, not sanctified, we would be done, right? So God takes that work, um, not just de to declare us to be right, but to make us right in the process of sanctification, chapters 6 through 8. And then a lot of uh, Bible commentators 
um, kind of reference chapters 9 through 11. It's a parenthesis. I wouldn't call it so much a parenthesis or a pause, but uh, Paul would deal with the dispensational uh, dealings with Israel. Why is Israel uh, so overall as a nation rejecting of the Messiah? Um, and I, I benefited greatly from those three chapters. And I think my brother Jamal mentioned it, that it's not just, the, the lesson does not just apply to Israel and how to be saved. That applies to everyone. And we could read those chapters uh, and benefit greatly from them. And then here we find ourselves last week, our brother Mike was talking um, about the, now it goes to the instruction or the practical part of this this letter that was given, um, where it's now going to give some uh, practical instruction to the believer. And I think he also mentioned that in, in the religious systems, it's reverse. It's do, 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 right? You're given instruction to do this, do that, uh, to try to obtain salvation. Uh, but without the doctrine in the beginning, it's all in vain. If you're not justified, declared to be uh, right with God, if you're not sanctified to, to be cleansed, you're never going to be able to come into the practical part. You're not going to have the Spirit of God to help you follow through these, these next chapters, right? And it's only through His through His Spirit and through the helper that He has given the believer that we are able to overcome and achieve some of these instructions that are given. And we're going to look through some of them, um, and they're not easy. If, if you read some of the, 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 the verses, uh, if you consider what they are saying and the premises in which Paul is writing to the believers, considering what was going on uh, in that time with the believers in Rome, um, with the, just the, the, the church itself, how they were going to be persecuted, how they were treated wrong, Paul would still go ahead and write these verses and to an unbeliever looking from the outward in would not be able to understand or be why. Why am I going to do these things, right? If I'm myself, there's injustice happening towards me. How, why should I submit to these, these rules, these authorities? Why should I follow these, uh, these laws? Why should I love my enemy? Why should I even love my enemy? What does that even mean? He's my enemy, right? These things don't make sense to the one that's without Christ. Um, and again, and I'm, I'm, I promise I'm going to jump off of chapter 12 now. This is my last thought. Right, The only way that the believer, and, and I think this is the key verse of when we're entering into these instructional cha- chapters, um, is if, if you consider, if you do, what Paul is saying to do in, in verse 1, right? That he's beseeching the brethren, begging them that they present their bodies as a living sacrifice, acceptable unto God, and that is your reasonable service. And Mike did a great job of covering that verse, spent quite a bit of time, if I recall the message correctly. Uh, but the concept, the, the idea there is, again, that you're presenting your body as a sacrifice. If you think of the Old Testament sacrifices, when people would present a sacrifice for a, many various sacrifices that were given in the Old Testament, they were taking something that was clean, something that they invested time in, and it was going to be slayed or pay the penalty for some kind of 
some, some kind of wrong or maybe it was a, a, a sacrifice that was instituted in, in the book of Leviticus for whatever reason, right, that God had, but it was a sacrifice that was fully given to God, right? When they presented a sacrifice, it was not like, here is my lamb, please give me that rack of lamb back. I need it for dinner. It doesn't work that way. When the, the sacrifice was given, it was supposed to be fully dedicated to God. And what Paul is saying for, to the believer is that you're supposed to present yourself completely. God wants all of us. He doesn't want just a portion of us. I don't want to, I want to keep these things to myself, God. And I, and you know what? I'm going to give you, you know, my 30% of myself to you. You could use that, but you know, the 60%, I like to do these things that are really, uh, you know, not, not really in accordance to what your will is. No, he says to give your bodies the entire thing as a sacrifice. Now, is it for the purpose of what you want it to be? No. It's for the use of God, to give yourself wholly to God, and acceptable, um, as he says that it's a reasonable service. And of course, then the chapter goes on into describing some of the service. Um, and then now we find ourselves into these um, instruction, uh, practical verses and I will venture to say that the theme actually starts um, around in verse 17 of the previous chapter. So, again, some things that are worth pointing out, these scriptures apply to us today, right? Whatever chaos was going back in Rome, in those times, I mean, just look around. Look what's going on in today's society. And I'm talking about Western society. We're, we're blessed to live in a country like this, but things aren't okay, right? From the governmental level to the local authoritative levels, there's corruption, there's things that are just not right that we are not agreeing, that we're not in agreement with. And yet, Paul would go on to write these verses in the same context. And you can't tell me, oh, but that was back then. Um, this is now. We, um, you know, this doesn't really apply to us. I would say that's incorrect. Now, in, in first, the first verse, it says that we are to be subject unto higher powers, right? This is referring to unbelieving entities. We're talking about governments. We're talking about authorities at work. We're talking about local authorities. Uh, we're supposed to be subject to them, for there is no power but of God. And the concept here is that God is the one that grants these powers, and the powers are ordained of God, right? So the believer could take comfort in knowing that the powers that are given, right? The power that such and such entity, whether it be Congress, the Senate, whether it be the local mayor, these are powers that are ordained of God, right? He could as easily put somebody into power, he could as easily remove them as much as we agree or disagree with them and then you're saying wait a minute david are, are you telling me right these politicians that you know they usually have a, a very nice suit good smile and they make you all these promises if you vote for me you vote for me i'm going to do this i'm going to do this for your community i'm going to forgive this debt i'm going to lower taxes i'm going to do this i'm going to do that i'm going to do this and they campaign they shake hands. They kiss babies, babies' cheeks, right? 
And then lo and behold, they get elected. And then they go into their, their whatever terms of office are, right? If it's in the presidential at the highest uh, exec, the executive branch, the highest level, it's for four years, and they could get it reelected and make it eight years. Um, but all those promises, for the most part, they're broken. And once they get in power, it seems like a lot of them would benefit from the place of office. You, you could look at some of the, the governmental salaries that some of these senators are paid, and what their net worth is, is astronomical. And then the, the two don't add up, right? Where do they get all these millions of dollars if your salary is only so much, so much per year? There's corruption. I agree. Yeah, there's, there's problems in U.S. government. I agree, right? And now you're... Paul's saying that we, we need to be subject unto these authorities. Well, I'll tell you this, right? Like I said, we're, we're blessed to be in a nation that we could meet like this, still free. It, it won't always be like this. That there's no uh, authoritative governmental power that is completely going against Christianity and against God, as is in some other countries, Right? Governments aren't perfect, and they always have problems. The reason why there's problems in government, and this is me not trying to be Einstein, it's pretty simple. There's sinners that run government, right? For the majority, I'm not saying there's no believers in, 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 in government, but for the majority, they're unbelievers. And why is there problems in government and problems in the country? Well, because they govern people that are unbelievers, unregenerate. And so there's always going to be issues from above, and there's going to be issues with its citizens uh, rebelling against that power, looking ways to, to break the rules. There's no surprise that these things happen. Governments fail. There's going to be corruption. And yet, Paul would go ahead and write these things. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I wouldn't personally wouldn't like to be under a dictator rule, right? I, my wife's family's Cuban, and some of the old, old time, old school Cuban uh, people in her family, they, there's such a disdain towards that country because they've wronged so many people, uh, and they have this, this just this, almost like a grudge against anything to do with Cuba, where they, you know, the government just completely destroyed lives, destroyed lives of family members. Uh, whether it be in robbing of property and murder and, and injustice, that's totalitarian. That's a dictator type of rule. Uh, we wouldn't want to be in countries such as North Korea, right, where um, the, the person in power there is almost declared to be as a deity um, and everybody else is living impoverished except for himself and his his trusted members of, of his cabinet and his generals live well while everybody else is in war camps suffering from disease, hunger, um, and all sorts of hardships, right? I'm glad that we're here. I'm glad that we have these liberties. But with that considered, God still has people living in those places. God still has his servants working in those places, and those particular believers are subjected to those authorities, with some exceptions. And we're going to look at some examples um, from Scripture, um, how they 
uh, treated with such authorities and what uh, attitudes and responses the attitude should give in line with these authorities. Um, and in that very context, right, and we still haven't left verse 1, in that very context, um, Paul's writing this, right? This is at the time where Romans chapter 13 was written. I believe if, if history, my quick research of history can be believed, uh, Nero was the Roman emperor. He was the fifth Roman emperor, right? It was six um, from Julius Caesar. He was the first Roman emperor that was assassinated or betrayed by his cabinet and then there was five uh, Caesars none of them were godly men none of them were believers they all were actually per historians if, if the, the record can be believed they're pretty bad people in a sense of, of uh, lust, sinfulness uh, the way they treated certain individuals um, and Nero himself was actually one of the worst specifically towards persecution of the church. Um, and, and the events that, that occurred where, where Nero uh, would persecute and execute Christians hadn't happened, I believe, when, when this portion of Scripture was written. But it's still, in, in light of that environment, this is where Paul's writing um, to the believers, right, that we are to, to be subjected, right? And now I, I, I know this, this contradicts to some of the, the fundamental documents and rights that we establish in this country, right? This country has is, is been blessed mightily, right? We, we have more than what we need. We have more food, more resources uh, than, than um, you know, that we, we actually need in comparison to other countries. And we have documents that's called my uh, rights, right? This is my First Amendment right, this is my Second Amendment right, and I have these God-given rights is what the good American that studies history is the Declaration of Independence. These are my constitutional rights, right? And as soon as government contradicts uh, any of my rights, guess what? We're going to bear arms, take my Second Amendment, and tell government, no, you can't, right? Um, and, and to some extent, that's been used throughout American history, but this is not what the believer is, is to do, brother and sister. We don't govern our lives by uh, our constitutional rights. We govern our lives by the Scripture, God's instruction. Um, Whosoever therefore resisteth power, the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resisteth shall receive to themselves damnation. For the rulers are not a terror to do good works, but to do evil, but to the evil. Will thou then not be afraid of the power to do that which is good? Thou shalt have to praise of the same. Uh, for he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is a minister of God and a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. And you think of, of examples that we have in the Old Testament of godly men, even in the New Testament, uh, of, of people that, what Paul's saying here is not to be subjected to government, not to get involved, right? We all have our everyday jobs. When I was 
a young kid here in Boulevard Bible Chapel. We used to sing a song in um, in VBS. If the Lord makes you a plumber, you be a plumber for the Lord. If the Lord makes you a drummer, you be a drummer for the Lord. Right? He's not saying to not get a job, not subject yourself to some kind of authority of a company. No. Saying whatever you do, do it for the Lord, the, the Lord's prayer. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, right? Whatever we do, wherever the Lord has us working, whether it be a full-time itinerary worker, whether it be in the corporate uh, world, or whether it be in some kind of trade, you're looking first for the kingdom of God, for His kingly rule, for the establishment, the growth of His people. You're, you're there primarily to serve God, whether it be through serving to, to some kind of employer. Um, and, and we see that throughout Scripture. For example, my mind goes to Joseph, right? Joseph was one that had a lot of reason to complain. His brothers, he was one of the father's favorites, which with God there's no partiality. There's good reason for that. And so his brothers didn't like him because Jacob loved Joseph. And his brothers grabbed him and cast them off and sold them into slavery, right? And, and if anybody had a lot of uh, standing of a great injustice was done to me, it would have been Joseph. So then the scripture will go on to say that he plotted how to escape slavery and revolt in Egypt. No, my Bible does not say that. It says the exact opposite. It says that whatever he did, the Lord blessed Joseph because he was with Joseph. Joseph was subjected to his master, his taskmaster from Potiphar, all the way up to Pharaoh, to the point where God would bring salvation to the entire nation of Egypt. And not just Egypt, you read the account of Joseph of, of Joseph in, in Genesis, I think chapter 42 or 43, where it says that, that Pharaoh lifted him up to the place second highest of authority. And not only that, he... Uh, uh, became a minister of salvation to the nations around him during this great famine. Other countries would come to Egypt to get nourishment to survive this great ha- famine and not perish, including his brothers, right? Imagine, that's such a beautiful story, but let's not go on there. Joseph did not try to uh, rebel. He did not try to escape being a slave as nobody wants to be a slave, right? He took it as of God. As the will of God. If we look at Moses, Moses was uh, one who, unlike Joseph, was born into a place of authority, being considered the son of Pharaoh's daughter, right? And he saw some injustice, and he did the exact opposite. When he was a young man, he thought he was smart, probably handsome, very strong. He smote an Egyptian because he saw that there was an injustice being done, thinking that he was going to be, I'm going to free my people, And lo and behold, the next day he sees two Jews quarreling. And he says, why do you quarrel amongst one another? And the response is, who are you to judge me? Are you going to kill me as you did that Egyptian? And the Lord had to teach Moses. And it was not until he was an old man that he came to liberate his people, to save God's people, not out of rebellion, but out of the sheer power of God. Not out of gathering troops, let's do it out of our own might, but out of subjection to God. We look at Nehemiah, somebody that rose to great, great uh, standing with the emperor, the Persian king, um, as his cupbearer. He cupbearer had to be one of the most trusted positions to the emperor. You could think of it as somebody that's that's almost like secret service to a ruler nowadays, and he would be subjected to him and. 
the, the Persian king would give him, would, would see that God was with him and would give him grace to allow God's work to help rebuild. Um, you look at the time of, of, of Jesus Christ, right? There was one called, not Simon Peter, there was one called Simon the Zealot. Zealot, right? And if you think about what does that term mean? Well, this person, before he became converted and became one of the disciples of Christ, he was uh, the equivalent of somebody that wanted to revolt against Rome and free the Jewish people through rebellion, through just um, what we would call um, protest and, and inciting violence and stuff like that. And God would change him from being Simon the Zealot to Simon the disciple of Jesus Christ. So many examples in Scripture of how the believers to conduct themselves under ungodly authority, right? There is exceptions to this. When the believer is to put their foot down and say, No, Mr. President, Mr. Boss, Mr. Governor, Mr. Mayor, I won't and I will not. And we're going to look at uh, one of those examples very briefly um, in the book of Daniel. And I say that because through uh, Christendom, and through history, there's, there's cases of, for example, uh, the Crusades. Supposedly, they were blessed by the, the, the Roman uh, Pope uh, to say, hey, go and conquer these lands in the name of Christ. And those things were an utter disaster. Those things were not ordained of God. One of the type of rebellion that I'm speaking about is found in the book of Daniel. Now, Daniel is a, you know, a very known um, story that we learn as kids, right? And what was interesting about, about Daniel is that he came as a young man in captivity, probably in one of the worst times and darkest times of, of the, the, the kingdom, the southern kingdom, when they were taken captive into Babylon. And of course, uh, the king would pick the, the best and brightest uh, exceptional young men to come and serve him. Um, and so what does Daniel do, right? Does he, again, subject himself to the authority uh, that God placed him in? Or does he now look to just honor God in the place that he's given? Well, he does that until they ask him to do something that contradicts his conscience, that will make him sin to his God, against his God. And he would say, no, I will not eat of the king's meat, him and his friends. Meat was unkosher. It was unclean meat. It was direct command of that went against to what Daniel was instructed, and it would be dishonoring God. And God will honor. And it, it was a small little event that that occurred. It was serious to the person that was that was training him. If if these four boys failed and they looked bad, the king could have his head. Uh, and yet the Lord would honor that faith. And then in a couple chapters uh, later, in chapter 3, it, the test grew. And then there was a big uh, statue idol erected. And at the sound of the trumpet, everybody's supposed to bow and worship. And Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to those that are familiar with the kids' song, would say, no, we are not to bow down knee. Why? Because, because you know, we... we uh, we're going to rebel against this evil doctrine that this evil king is wanting us to do. No, it was the exact opposite. It's uh, in, in uh, Daniel chapter 3, look what it says. God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. 
and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto you, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And these three young men stood to a tyrant, to this emperor, and said, we will not obey, we will rebel, because this goes in contrary to our God. This is this, we, You will be making a sin against our God. And God would honor that faith, and they will be saved. And a few chapters later, in chapter 6, of course, it's the famous story of, of Daniel now established in a high place in office, and the king loved Daniel, and yet there was people out of jealousy would con- uh, contrive a scheme to uh, get Daniel out of power, out of favor of the king. And Daniel, which what he did, you read your Bible and you pray every day. That's what we teach our kids that's what we ought to be doing. There was a decree made that nobody, that you're to pray to no one except the king. And lo and behold, Daniel, he would still go in rebellion to this decree. And he would pray to the living God faithfully. And of course, we know the end of the story that God would uh, honor that faith and free him from the den of the lion's mouth. From the, the lion's mouth and the den, lion's den. And so here we see when a believer is supposed to put his foot down and say no to that authority, right? When there is a clear, direct violation. And of course, we, again, it should be fresh in our minds because we just finished the book of Acts, right? There was persecution. But did the uh, did the um, disciples go out, guns blazing, let's rebel against these uh, uh ungodly religious rulers of the Jews? Shall we go rebel against the Romans? No, absolutely not. In uh, Acts chapter 4, remember the first time that they were spoken hard against and they were threatened, right? This is just a start of the persecutions that they're going to that they're gonna see. Uh, in verse 19, Peter speaking to, to the Jews, right? In, in verse 17, it says that they threatened them and told them to not speak of Jesus Christ. This was a direct violation. Christ says to go out to all nations, to preach the gospel, a direct command from their loved Savior, Jesus Christ. And here they're telling them, stop speaking that name. Don't go preach the gospel. And Peter would say, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God, judge ye. And here Peter's saying, listen, I'm going to obey God instead of you. Think about it. Does that even make sense? And he will tell them again. They will threaten him. Did we not tell you not to preach the name of Christ in 529? And Peter said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Again, a direct rule or a direct decree commandment that is in direct violation to God's law. And it happens, right? Right here in, in the great U.S. of A., we, we don't face this as much, but in certain countries, um, there's certain laws in, in China uh, regarding a two-child policy where they would uh, force mothers to abort kids if they had more than, than two kids, right? And, and so now you're saying the government's telling me to take life because I have more than two kids. That's, that's murder. Thou shalt not murder. That's a direct, so that's something where the believer would have to rebel against government and just put his faith in God that he will deliver them through these hard times. And these are very, very uh, difficult things to think about and difficult things to just digest. Um, if we maybe could look into, and we're out of time, we're, we'll probably have to wrap some of these ideas um, in our small groups tonight.
Um, if we could look at at First uh, Peter chapter two, um, he goes on to write regarding um, being under the authority of of ungodly or unbelieving uh, people, right? And, and I, I'd encourage you to read in chapter 2. It's starting around verse 14 is where it speaks about governors, that how are we supposed to be subjected to them. And, and, and again, in, in a government like this, if you're, if you're not breaking the law, you're doing good works, you have a clean conscience, the government in general doesn't do anything against you. But if you are breaking the law, uh, I've had certain family members that got incarcerated for certain crimes um, close people to us, and we go visit them in, 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 when they were in, in jail, and they were sorrowful, and uh, but it wasn't like, oh, an injustice was done to me because I'm here. No, it, it's not that it was an injustice. You weren't persecuted. It was just justice that was done. You broke a law, right? The, the, the judgment came correctly from that government, but it changes. What if if you are indirect if if an injustice is done to you to the believer right so i'm going to pick up reading in verse uh 19 it says uh or i'm going to go to verse 18 servants be subjected to your masters with all fear not only to do good but to to and gentle and also to the for the forward for this is thankworthy if a man's conscience towards god endureth grief suffering wrongfully right now this is saying it is good for a man right if he is suffering um if he's enduring grief wrongfully now and and again i'm i'm just guessing that that peter and like paul are just looking at the teachings of christ if you look at the beatitudes chapter in matthew chapter 5 um there's a lot of these same thoughts a lot of these same themes regarding uh, fulfilling the law and love, which I don't think we're going to get to, and and being persecuted. The beautiful Lord, words of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 5, it says, Blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile against you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against against you falsely for my name's sake. Receive, rejoice, and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you, right? And so here Paul and Peter are emphasizing the, the same thing. What for what glory is it when ye be buffeted for your faults? Ye shall take it patiently. But if you if you when you do well and suffer for it and take it patiently, is it acceptable with God? And and Peter goes on to speak. Uh, unto the, the the beautiful example of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one whom later in the chapter Paul would say to put on Christ, right? That we are to be like this. When when we're talking about loving your enemy, we're, that's that's being like Christ. And you could see in, in verse twenty three where it says, "When he was reviled, he reviled not. When he suffered, then threatened not, uh, but committed himself unto him that judges righteously." Now, uh, believer, Christian, in this world you may not get that justice. You may not get that day in court where that wrong that was done, um, and many believers are facing that nowadays. I think of, of the injustices that happened in the Middle East. You think of that situation in Afghanistan now that we pulled our troops out and taking all politics aside. There's people that are suffering there now. Believers are suffering there now. Um, and, and, and you could think of all the, the, just the, the cruelty of man through sin. Uh, sometimes this justice 
it, it won't ever be fulfilled until we are in glory, until God himself will give us justice. We are out of time, um, and I think it's probably a good, good place to pause, um, and then maybe with the Lord's help we could finish out the chapter <laughs> in our small groups. Um, let's close this meeting in a word of prayer. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful that He is the righteous judge. He is the one that will make all things right. In the book of Revelations, it says, He shall wipe away every tear from every eye, and there shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. That He's going to make all things right, Father. We ask for strength for the believers that are abroad, that are suffering under such regimes, Father. We ask that you would give them courage and strength to endure, uh, that they may overcome as these great believers from the Old Testament. We ask for the believers here, Father, that we would get involved with, with your word, with carrying out uh, your rule, that we would seek first the kingdom of God and not get involved into the pettiness of politics uh, and, and look to the one who will one day rule our lives or that, that will rule um, completely, Father. We pray for the saints uh, that are not here, the ones that are suffering through illness, um, for, for the recent injuries. We ask, um, Father, that you would comfort them, Father, that you would uh, show them um, grace and, and that they might be able to recover quickly, Father. We ask these things in your son's most precious name. Amen.